Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. Start thinking about how you're spending your time. Start thinking and asking and questioning yourself why you're doing certain actions in your business. Are you doing them because that's what was taught to you? Are you doing them because that's what truly aligns to you? Or are you just doing them because you're letting somebody other than you essentially dictate how you live your life and how you grow your business? And the moment you begin to separate yourself and realize that you are in control and you have always been in control, that's when you truly begin to create a life of abundance, joy, happiness, where whether you make five or 50K a month, you're going to just feel at peace for the first time in your life. So I think ultimately, listen to yourself more. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. If you haven't yet listened to my recent conversations with Tom Ruich, founder and president of Story Power Marketing, and best-selling author, entrepreneur, writer, and keynote speaker, Kedma O, then do go and check them out. But stay here and listen to today's conversation first. I'm really excited to welcome back to the InnovaBuzz podcast as my guest today, Karan Nijiwan, who helps coaches generate 15000 to 55000 per month income with their high-ticket offer without running paid ads, all done through organic marketing and elevated events. He's the founder of Close Dream Clients, and he has hosted over 190 of his own human connection dinners, events, retreats, and amazing experiences. Karan was my guest on the Innova Buzz podcast, episode 333, where he shared why traditional networking events are broken because they focus so much on transactions. And we talked about how we can create events that focus on meaningful conversations and deep connection. In our conversation today, Karan talked to me about why value ladders and freebies keep people stuck at a low level, below $10,000 income per month. He explained how consistent organic marketing alone can get you $15,000 per month revenue or more. And we talked about the importance of a sales framework for a sales call. Without further ado, then let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Karan Nijuan. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome back to the InnovaBuzz podcast today, all the way from Toronto, Canada, 
Karan Nijuan, who's the founder of Close Dream Clients, and he's hosted over 190 human connection dinners, events, retreats, and experiences. Karan was previously on the Innova Buzz podcast on episode 333. So welcome back to the Innova Buzz podcast, Karan. It's a great privilege to have you back as my guest. Thank you so much for inviting me back. I I should probably re-listen to our last episode because I feel like I was so young and naive back then. But I feel <laughs> like that's the that's probably the sign of, of growth for any entrepreneur is when they listen to something they said years ago, they're probably pretty embarrassed by it. So I'm, I'm actually going to do, do myself a favor and re-listen to that episode. Well, I have to acknowledge you because I, um, after we spoke and we met and I went through your um dinner program your training program that you have and i thought this actually this i could do this because i'm actually a natural introvert and i find it really difficult to meet people new people even though i do that through my podcast but i thought well what i'm doing in the podcast and i'm starting to feel quite comfortable in the podcast that's a good fit for this um this networking dinner thing particularly online and as we were going into the pandemic i thought well you know people are looking for that connection so i started running those events and they've been absolutely magical so i have to say you know you inspired me to start that and that's taken me on this journey as well i appreciate that but you know what you did all the work right i gave you i gave you a plan so to speak but you're you're the one who actually did the work you implemented you did the work when no one else was looking. You sent out the invites. You planned the events. You created the landing pages. You facilitated the events. You followed up with people. And then you rinsed and repeated that cycle. So it takes a really good student to actually go out and get results. So, you know, I can sure I, I gave you the plan, so to speak, but you're the one responsible for 100% of the success. So kudos to you for being somebody who not only dove into the program with very little knowledge of what to expect, but you grabbed the bull by the horns and you implemented and there's reason there, there's reasons why clients like you stand out. Hmm. Yeah, well, there is an important message there, isn't there? It's kind of nice to have the framework or have somebody teach you something new, but um, until you implement it and put it into action, it's kind of just something else that you enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Now you've undergone, since we had you last on the show, you've undergone quite a, a business pivot and your focus pretty much now has moved to helping entrepreneurs attract and lead and land high net worth clients consistently. So month on month without spending a lot of time and money on advertising and cold outreach and all that kind of thing. But you've, you've kind of taken the virtual event framework that you've done and you've enhance that so i'm really curious to explore that some more learn how that journey came about and where that's hit leading but before we start talking about all those things what what's the impact you're making in the world today apart from inspiring people like me to run events apart from inspiring people like you <laughs> to run events i would say i'm helping people realize that what they want may not actually be what they want and what I mean by that is there's this school of thought in the coaching industry of scale, scale, scale of 50K, 100K months, and you have to grind to get there. And there's an idea entrepreneurs and coaches have when you think about those numbers as to what that can allow your life to achieve. 
But most of my clients and myself have realized that you don't need a hundred grand a month to actually live the lifestyle and the freedom that you want. So I said to a friend of mine yesterday, a lot of people hire me for the tactics and the strategies on how to double their revenue if they're a coach. What they end up getting outside of the tactics and strategies is the possibility that they need a lot less. It's the belief that everything they want is within arm's reach. And just by doing 2% more of the strategic work, they can accomplish 80% of the success that they're, that they're achieving. I think most of my clients that achieve between 20 and 50K a month are totally fine with a 20 to 50K a month without having to have a massive team with a very lean operation where their profit margins are, are extremely high. And I, you know, not to go off a tangent with the first question. So maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll park that there. I think, I think the impact that I'm having today and the impact that's really exciting me right now is showing people how to just zoom out of their day-to-day -day life, zoom out of the tactics and strategies and get really clear on not just the business that they want, but creating the lifestyle that they want with the business just being secondary. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because we all, and I mean, we've all been there, uh, put ourselves under this enormous pressure, right? Of, um, of here's where I've got to get to. And, and then I get to there and we don't even stop to celebrate that. We say, well, okay, what's the next level? Okay. Now I've got to get to there and we just keep grinding and we sacrifice time. We sacrifice personal relationships. We sometimes sacrifice health, um, just to continue to pursue those goals that keep moving out ahead of us. And sometimes that's um, counterproductive. Yeah, I can tell you earlier this year, I hit my <clears throat> highest month revenue-wise. Did I take a moment to celebrate? I can't say I did. <laughs> I, you know, I, I marked it down in my Google spreadsheet. It's a cool revenue, how much money I collected, how much money is outstanding on payments. And then my mind straight, like straight away went into the next month mm. without even really taking a moment to say, wow, I almost made exactly 50% of my six-figure corporate job that I used to have years ago in one month. Mm. And saying it out loud, even like right now, because it was months ago, like I, I haven't really even taken a moment to acknowledge that. So, you know, as and this is just something I'm learning. And I think the, the beautiful thing about our conversations is, you know, there's things that I've learned this morning about myself that I'm like, oh, crap, why, like, why didn't I know that sooner? Right. So even having this conversation, I'm sharing with you real time in this moment, what's going through my head, how I'm feeling uh, and everything in this moment, not not just like two months ago or three months ago, because like I said earlier, like I don't even feel like I'm the same guy I was yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess, you know, one of the things one of the things that we know from science is that every single cell in our body, and I can't remember the exact number, but it's astoundingly short. Every single cell of, in our body is replaced in, I think it's less than a year. I think it's months. And, um, you know, I often bring that little fact up when people say, oh, I don't like change. I, I'm not going to change. I don't like change. I say, well, guess what? <laughs> You're changing. You don't have any choice. So maybe you could be proactive about it and embrace it where it serves you. Yeah. And I think change is very healthy, right? I think change doesn't always need to be scary. Change doesn't always need to be pivoting. Change doesn't always need to be investing in the next coach or the next mentor or the next mastermind. Like those are just, again, those are actions that we take to keep ourselves preoccupied and keep ourselves busy. 
because we're too afraid to sit alone with our thoughts. We're too afraid. We'd rather hire somebody for ten or twenty thousand dollars to tell us what's wrong than sit down with a journal for three minutes and type out or write out how we actually feel. So, right, change doesn't need to be these massive steps. In fact, when I look at my life and I look at the biggest game changer moments of my life, or what I would call the biggest catalyst moments of my life, it's not massive leaps that I made. It's not that I always, you know, jumped off a mountain and expected this parachute to open. It's this. It's the small incremental stuff at the day to day. The stuff that Maybe people don't see or it's the, what goes in my journal or how I talk to myself or how I talk to Brandy, my fiance. How do I treat my clients? How do I talk to my grandma? It's like it's those little things that you do that essentially shape who you end up becoming. So I think when it comes to change, especially in the world of, of entrepreneurship and coaches, which is the space that I'm in, I think the mistake, again, is always looking for like, what's the what's the biggest jump I could possibly make? When we realize that it's not always the big jumps, it's the, it's the small steps along the way. I know that sounds cliche, but it's the only sustainable way to actually be happy is yeah. to have the same happiness, whether you make 5K a month or 50K a month. If you can accomplish that, then you've already won the game. Hmm. I, I'm a huge fan of James Clear's Atomic Habits. And I think the idea of consistency, which is I think what you're talking about, the idea mm-hmm. of consistent improvement, consistent habits which is what uh, james clear talks about atomic habits the small things that make a difference consistently doing those accumulates over time it's a little bit like in the financial space where you know one percent a year um can accumulate over 20 years to maybe i don't know if the math is right but maybe double your double your holding (laughs) now um and i think consistency is something that is totally under underappreciated in my view i i tell people now at the end and you'll get this at the end of our show when we do the debrief after the recording i say well your episode will publish in whenever and it's going to be episode and i think this is going to be episode 485 or 86 and and people now are people usually react with oh wow that's amazing you know and i i've started to take the time to enjoy that feedback and also celebrate that but it's exactly what you said we have you know we didn't kind of dive in and do 500 nearly 500 episodes in one hit or anything we've been doing this for seven years we just consistently publish two every week consistently talk to awesome people like yourself and there we go over time all of a sudden we're at that number and that's the thing right people see 486 now and they think maybe wow Jurgen got lucky or, oh, he just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Or, you know what, like, he's got a massive team and all he has to do is just show up, right? There's, there's always reasons that we look at other people's success and say, oh, you know, they got lucky or this and that. I mean, you've done, you know, close to 500 podcasts and it's taking you seven years of your life that you've dedicated where you, you didn't have to edit podcast episodes. You didn't have to hire a team. You didn't have to have intake forms. You didn't have to interview people. You could have been busy building some other aspect of your life, right? No one asked you to do that, but obviously you're, you're, you're called to something greater. November 16th, 2016, or November, sorry, November 22nd, 2016 is when I held my first dinner, right? In the bio, you said I've hosted about 190 of these events and I have, but it's taken me like five plus years mm. and really shitty dinners and really bad experiences and really good experiences and then kind of okay experiences. And they, they just kind of compounded over time, mm. right? So yeah, I've done a, I've done a lot of events, but man, like it's, I put a lot of blood, sweat, tears, 
literal tears into my events. Hmm. So I think it's, it's, it's interesting how, and yeah, I think compounding, like you said, right, is super underrated. The, the day-to-day consistency is super underrated. And I take every day for the utmost, um, I guess, gratitude. I don't know if that sounds right, but I, I'm grateful every day that I wake up. I'm grateful that I get to journal. I'm grateful that I get to read books that I, that I like to read. I'm grateful that I get to serve amazing clients. I get to you know, still call my grandma and my parents every day because they live in a different city. I think if you just do the, the basics really well, like you'll be ultimately you're going to be very fulfilled. Hmm. Yep. Great message there. Now let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the work you do. And I know one of the things you talk about is the idea that value ladders are, are really getting in your way. And, uh, you know, if we, if we think about the traditional marketing thing, you've got the funnel and <laughs> don't get me started on that. You can hear my voice go. Sour. Um, the funnel. So you start off with a lead magnet and you feed as many people into the top of that funnel. Hopefully they'll get your lead magnet. Hopefully they'll like your lead magnet. You then give them a low ticket offer. And, you know, if they like that low ticket offer, there's a bit of a relationship built. There's a change in the relationship because they've spent money. And then you work them up that value ladder. So the next offer is, hey, buy my next stuff. And then, hey, buy my big program. So what's wrong with that picture today? That was a beautiful articulation of a value ladder. And it's a trap that I also fell into when I first started out in entrepreneurship with my own company is I was selling you know, a freebie then maybe a $7 product and a $37 product and a $200 course and a $500 event and a $1,000 consulting and then a you know, 5K mastermind. Let's just say like, again, we we're just stacking it up. The reason that I fell into that trap is because the books and the mentors that I was following, I didn't realize this in hindsight. Obviously, that's what they were doing. Mm. But the one thing that they had that I didn't as a solopreneur was extremely big budgets, massive teams, and a level of operations and sophistication that a solopreneur just doesn't have access to. So Russell Brunson can afford to lose money on a book and he can sell thousands of those books a day and lose money on all of them. And he's still going to make profit in the back end. The mm. typical person that I work with or me or you, we don't want to lose money every day to gain a customer in the back end. You know, maybe we're willing to lose a couple bucks, but we're not willing to go thousands in the, in the hole every single day just to hope that something converts in the back end. So when you realize that some of these gurus who invented the value ladder have massive teams, have test budgets of $100,000 a month. I mean, if you've got a test budget that's even 5K a month, like go for it. Go run ads and go give Zuckerberg more money. But if you're a professional, if you are working by yourself or you have a small team and you can't afford a thousand or five thousand or ten thousand a month in quote test budgets, then the value ladder is this idea that has been sold to us saying get enough people in the front end of your funnel and a small percentage of them will convert into a high ticket back a high ticket back end client. And I tried that. And I always hated my revenue, right? I tried that and I was always plateaued in my revenue. And surprisingly, it is equally as difficult to sell a $7 product as it is a $7,000 coaching program. The difficulty, in my opinion, is the exact same. The complexity of the sale is virtually the exact same. In fact, the $7 client is more likely to ask you for a discount than a $7,000 client. <laughs> yeah. 
right? So the, the, the complexity is actually, it's, it works in your favor just to sell high ticket. And I thought when I first started out that you had to have a product at every tier that a person couldn't just go straight to your best stuff. But why can't they? Like there's no rule book in business. Why can't someone who falls in love with your content, falls in love with your podcast, go straight to a, a $10,000, $20,000 product if they love what you do and they totally resonate? The only thing that's stopping them is you as the entrepreneur making them go through the value ladder, right? So you're adding more steps. You're adding more complexity to the funnel. So when my clients are you know, running ads, which they don't anymore, but let's say they're running ads to a freebie, they're selling a $37 book, then they want to sell their $200 online program, and then they want to sell consulting in the back end. Instead of those four unnecessary steps, in my opinion, if the ultimate goal is revenue, that's the caveat, right? If, if your goal is to make money and make money quickly, then yes, I, I highly advise, why not just start with a high ticket? Why not just offer your best stuff to the clients who know you, like you, trust you, and are ready to go? In fact, I am now the type of buyer, and I'm sure you are too, Jurgen, where we want to buy programs or courses or mentors or consulting for very specific problems, right? I don't need a generic how to build a business course. I don't need a generic anything anymore. I'm at the point in my business where I'm going to hire someone who's really good at one specific part of my business, marketing, sales, operations, hiring a team, things of that nature. And I'm more likely to pay them good money because when was the last time I bought a hundred dollar product and it changed my life? Hmm. You know, maybe it was books or something. Book, books are different. I think books can change everyone's life, but most sophisticated people that I serve, would be offended if I offered them a $300 course hmm. because they're not at the point where they want to sit down and go through a program because they're more at the stage of their business where they've tried all the courses, they've tried the books. Now they need to get the job done. They just need one part of their business solved. Hmm. And I think when you create a high ticket business like I have now, and I'm focusing on very, very clear things, marketing and sales, that's it. Right. People that come into my program already have a validated offer. They've got their niche figured out. They already know who they're selling to. Now they just need lead gen and sales because they need some more confidence. So I just focus on two things now instead of 10 things like I used to do in my in my low ticket products. So to summarize, I think why people do value ladders is because that's what the business gurus have taught us. And the things that we don't see in the back end is the access, the systems, the money, the capital, the teams that some of these people have access to, they're not the ones running the ads. They've got a team for that. They're not the ones optimizing the landing page. They have teams for that. They're not the one responsible for the tech if it breaks at night. They've got teams for that, hmm. right? So if you're trying to compete with you know, somebody worth a billion dollars, like you don't have the same level of resources. And again, if you've been trying to sell low ticket and it's not working, maybe that's the exact you know, sign you need from God or, or your higher power. It's just to, to, to do something different. Hmm. All right. Well, um, tell us a little bit about your process then. What um, what have you, because I think in realizing that what you've just explained to us, you kind of shifted your business to actually take on this model, which you're now teaching others, right? Yeah, my process is simple. Post really good content and strategically follow up with interested parties who engage with your content. Hmm. So I don't, I'm not a believer of cold DMs. I don't like sending cold DMs. I don't promote that in my program. I get pitched on the daily 
of people, you know, who've done not even a second of research on me and saying, hey, Curran, I could be off base, but are you a coach? Hey, Curran, I could be off base, but are you a human? Like the, the, the sophistication of the DMs has gotten radically worse. And that is something I love to throw rocks at every single day because no one takes the time anymore to personalize messages. That's why I love what you do with video emails, hmm. right? You're a big, you're a big video email sender, which I love because you say my name and I know it's not a spray and pray approach. It's got to be for me. So why not do the same thing in the DMs? Why not make it that, you know, sniper approach versus the shotguns spray and pray approach? So all my clients post content using our frameworks. They post five times a week, Monday to Friday. What that does is, again, we, we covered consistency earlier, right? The more you create content, the more consistent of a following you get to build, the more you hone in on your own writing and video skills. You just you start to position yourself as somebody who really knows what they're talking about. And then over time, as people start to see your content and engage with your content, you strategically follow up using a series of messages attempting to book a sales call. And I think the biggest problem when I hear coaches say, you know, I don't have enough leads, I think what they're really saying is I don't have enough qualified sales calls. So the, the issue isn't necessarily that you don't have enough leads because everyone has a pretty big network these days on social media. The problem is there's people who are interested in working with you, but they just don't know how to get on a phone call with you because all of your posts are either buy this or a freebie. Right. So I don't, I'm not a big fan of the, of the buy this post and I'm not a big fan of the freebie post either. So in the middle is a series of posts that, again, build authority, credibility and likability. And essentially, once you engage with somebody who has demonstrated engagement on one of your social posts, there's a very natural way without feeling salesy to get them to see whether or not they're actually interested in moving that conversation forward with the <laughs> with the intention of buying. And then once they get on the phone. I have a really good framework on how to actually close and ask for a high ticket sales. I think a lot of coaches who are in the, you know, less than 15 K a month range, they've gotten sales, not consistently. And one of the biggest mistakes they make is that they let the prospect run the entire sales call, right? The prospect gets on the phone. Hey, how's your day going? How's your day going? The first 10 minutes are just, you know, shooting the crap. And you've got a very select window for you to actually take authority in that phone call. And that happens in the first 60 seconds. A lot of people think they lose sales calls in the last, in the last 60 seconds because they get a price objection. Their client wants to think about it. They want to talk to their partner. There's too much money. They've been burned before. It's a series of four to five really main objections that come up over and over again, just disguised differently. But oftentimes I've noticed when I audit my client's sales calls is that they didn't lose a sale in the, in the last five minutes. They lost in the first 30 seconds because they didn't take control. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, talk to us a little bit more about your sales call process, because I, um, I mean, first of all, let, let's take a step back. I mean, the, I get a lot of these things on my my main platform of engagement is LinkedIn, and I get a lot of hey, connect with me on LinkedIn with no further explanation, and so they expect me to go and have a look at who is that person and why do they want to connect with me. Then there's ones that connect with me um, and when I respond to the connection because they have given me a reason to connect they come back and they say hey buy my stuff well mm -hmm. you don't even know if I need your stuff uh, and you haven't had a conversation with me yet so I, my process is very much like what you've said is um, I connect with people I send them a video I connect I invite them to connect when they connect I usually send another video or sometimes I'll do an audio I've started doing 
audio more and more as well because I can do that any time of day. So if I'm unshaven and I'm still in my pajamas in the morning, I can still send them an audio message. <laughs> Whereas the video, I've got to go and get dressed and shower. Um, the the thing, as you say, is that it's kind of personal. It's inviting a conversation. And usually at some point in that conversation, if they engage, I say, hey, why don't we get on a call to get to know one another better? But I'm th that call to me, in my mind, is still not a sales call. But how do you get to the point of um, if you know that that person is interested in what you have to offer of, of making it a sales call, making it clear that it will be a sales call and then going through the process? Yeah, and this comes down to ultimately qualifying. So there, there's really two ways to do this, right? I think most people have one of two situations. They either have a cold lead or they have a warm lead. Now, if it's a cold lead, I recently learned what I'm going to call the, the rule of six is how my friend Crystal described it, the rule of six. And if it's a cold DM, a brand new cold conversation, your first six back and forth messages cannot be work-related. Mm -hmm. This is if it's someone is cold. She called it the rule of six. Your first six back and forth, your, your first six you know ping pongs back and forth across that table, your first six conversations have not they, they cannot be about your work and they cannot be about the prospect's work so this is what the rule of six would look like if it was me and you hey jurgen thanks for connecting with me how's life in australia you would respond that's the first cycle mm -hmm. oh that's awesome you know i've never been to australia is there anything unique you can tell me about that place besides kangaroos mm -hmm. and you would tell me and that's two. Oh man that's amazing uh, i i have a dog too we have a Oh, well, our dog recently passed away, but we had a 14-year-old pug named April, and she was amazing. And you would respond, that's three, right? So I would do six, six of these cycles of back and forths, six complete conversations that are not work-related before I express interest in what the other person does. Note, I didn't say after six, I go into explaining what I do. Hmm. After six, you dive into that person's business and then start inquiring about their business, how they got started, things of that nature. Right. So that is for a very cold conversation. Now, if it's a warm conversation, it's actually much, much easier. And a warm conversation typically looks like this because you only send warm DMs to people that have engaged with your content first. So, again, I said earlier, one of the things that you have to do is you need to start throwing rocks at your industry. What I mean by that is create content that's so polarizing, like go. Like what are the things in your industry that you cannot stand? You talk about those topics hmm. that creates polarity. It allows people to be attracted to you, but it also attracts people to be repelled by you. And I think that's a good thing. I think when you can create that attraction and that repel, you actually start to build a very unique sub-niche audience that really engages and believes in what you do. And I think too many people are afraid to rock the boat. Yeah. When, they, when they share content, they want to be you know, likable. They, be, um, they want everyone to like them. They don't want to ruffle any feathers. And if that hasn't gotten you anywhere by not ruffling feathers, then it, you know, again, Try something new, right? So I'm, I'm a big fan of creating what I call polarity in my content. So it, it does throw rocks at other industry methods. So how, how you would start a warm conversation is actually quite simple. Again, given you've got amazing content. So this is under the framework that you've already are writing amazing content a couple days a week. A warm DM would be, hey, Jurgen, thank you so much for commenting on my recent post about how you can book more sales calls, full stop. Jurgen would respond, no problem, Curran. Your content is the best. 
I make sure I read it every morning and you are the greatest guy in the world. <laughs> I said, oh, great. You know, thank you so much. Hey, I, I see you've been following my content for some time. Was there, was there any articles or any, any content I, I recently wrote that resonated with you the most? And same thing. I'm just going back to that rule of six, except now I'm making it maybe more of the rule of three. So mm -hmm. now that it's a warm conversation, instead of six back and forth, because again, this person knows me, they've engaged with me, I'm still doing the, the back and forth three times, not about my business. So it's, it's similar, but, but different. Hmm. Whereas yeah. typically what, what most people would do is go right for the kill. <laughs> hey, Jurgen, thanks for liking my post. You want to hop on a sales call? Hmm. And like, what if Jurgen was just on the subway going to a meeting and he was on your post and he quickly liked it? What if he barely even read it and he just liked it because he, he likes you and he wants to support you, right? What if, what if his thumb slipped by accident <laughs> as he was scrolling and he liked your post? Does that mean he's a qualified buyer? What if, what if he, you know, his, his daughter or his kid took his phone and opened up Facebook and just started liking and commenting on posts, you know, who knows what could happen? So never assume just because someone expresses interest in one of your social media posts that they're like, you know, what I would call a hot fire, like bring them in. Like, like <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no, you, you still need to have a back and forth conversation. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. And uh, I mean, it's, it's basic human relationships, isn't it? We, um, we've got to get to know people and have a conversation. And I, I've got this framework for several of my podcasting processes, you know, whether it's going on other people's podcast as a guest or um, me bringing guests onto my podcast. And there's a 12 step framework. And one of the steps of that framework very early on is have a conversation with the people. And that's before you pitch them to come on their show, before you um, ask them to come on your show, um, have that conversation, which is essentially the step you've just outlined. And yeah, you build build the build the relationship, and you learn about the person, right? You you learn whether oh, I'm sorry, Karan, my thumb just slipped. Um, I think your stuff's awesome, but I'm I'm actually not interested. My thumb slipped. I was trying to like the one before that. Yeah, right. But I think, unfortunately, like this is how how bad cold DMs are getting. And I think it really started, I mean, DMs were always, you know, you could bucket them into some were pretty good DMs. Some people were very creative with video emails, like, like me and you, and then other DMs have just progressively gotten worse. And I think we're constantly taught that sales is a numbers game, right? More volume, more leads, bigger email list, more friends on Facebook, more, 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 more. And it's just this perpetual cycle of like never being enough. So. Instead of always wondering, hey, how can I do more today? What if you ask yourself, how can I do so like so much less better? Hmm. I think Gary is it Gary Keller who wrote the one thing. The one thing. It's a book that's it's often referred to that book. But like, what is the one thing you can do today such that by doing it, everything else is either unnecessary or irrelevant? You know, I read that book maybe ten years ago, and the only line that that I need to that I need to know is is that line. What is the one thing I can do today such that by doing it, everything else is either unnecessary or irrelevant. So if you're trying to grow your business right now and you're finding yourself, you're, you're podcasting, you're posting on social, you're sending out email news lists, you're hosting this, you're doing that, you're, you've got a massive team, you've hired an agency, now you're running ads 
and the only thing that is actually increasing is your expenses, then you need to ask yourself, hey, how do I eliminate 80% of my headaches by making one move? It's like, what was that first domino, right? Mm -hmm. And typically it's not that people need to add more to their plate. Like all my clients end up doing a lot less than ever before. They just do it a lot better. Yeah, yeah I love it. Okay, uh, you mentioned earlier the sales call that it's important to have a framework and so let's say we've, we've had that conversation we've talked to the person we've said hey um based on the conversations that we've had sounds like you're interested in um running these events getting more people getting more people to these events and onto your high ticket program um, would you like to talk to me about how i do it so let's say they say yes what uh, and you mentioned earlier that often people lose the sale in the first 30 seconds of a call. So what, what's your framework for going through the sales call? Yeah, so I've got a 12-step a framework. It sounds like a lot, but it's not. The, the 12 steps are really catered for a very tight 45 to 50-minute sales call. I think anything less than that, maybe you haven't had enough time. Anything more than 50 minutes, max 55 minutes, and you're probably in the territory of either handling price objections or you're letting your prospect take over the call, none of which are ultimately good. So within the first 60 seconds of the call, that's all you need to build rapport. Hey, Jurgen, where, where are you in the world? Thanks for jumping on. How's your day going? Can you hear me okay? Anything exciting happened this week? Full stop. The call is not meant to be buddy-buddy. You're not on a sales call to make the other person feel like a best friend, you're there to qualify or disqualify them into being a possible income source for you, mm. right? The reason you do sales calls is because you want to make money. So every sales call needs to have a person of authority and a person who's not the authority. The mistake a lot of salespeople make is that they want to become so likable on the sales call that they actually lose authority. I remember like I've lost tons of sales in my lifetime because my, I, I went into the sales call hoping that like, by the end of the call, I just want to make Jurgen my best friend. Hmm. Like, if, if I can convince him that I'm a good guy and that I could be his best friend, then he's going to do business with me. And I lost the majority of those deals where I was just trying to be buddy, buddy with the person. And what I've come to realize is that when someone sees you quote on the same level, then why would they pay you 10, 20, 30 K, right? Why would they invest that kind of money in, if they think, hey, this guy or this woman is, is no better. And all I'm trying to articulate there in the rapport stage is that every sales call has a person of authority and a person who expressed their hand who has a some sort of a perceived problem, right? Hmm. The next thing, once you've done building rapport, is you need, to, you need to tell your prospect, you need to give them an overview of how the call is going to work, right? Hey, Jurgen, I've got 45 minutes budgeted today. Does that still work for you? Hey, the, the intention of this call is for me to really understand where you're at today, where you want to go. And if I think I can help you achieve that, I'll let you know by the end of this call. Does that sound fair? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So I've given the prospect a full itinerary for the next 45 minutes. Now, here is a very key question, because one of the most common objections people get at the end of a sales call that could have been avoided is I got to talk to my partner. Yeah. Or, hey, you know, this current, this sounds amazing. I can't wait to invest with you. I know you're the guy for me, but man, I got to talk to my wife. 
I got to talk to my husband. I got to talk to my kid. I got to talk to my business partner, something of the, something of that nature. Mm. So the next step is what I would call an assumptive close, which goes something like this. So Jurgen, if at the end of this call, if I'm not a good fit for you, do you have the ability to tell me I'm not a good fit? And you say, yeah, of course, of course I'll tell you. And I would say, hey, Jurgen, and listen, if at the end of this call, we both think you are a good fit for my program, do you have the ability to say yes and jump into the program today without speaking to anyone else? Hmm. And then he's going to say yes, like I have the ability to say yes, or he will say no. You know what? I make all my decisions with my partner. Yeah. And if that's the case, if they say something like I have to talk to my partner, then straight away, I just ask, that's totally awesome. Is your partner available to join you on the call right now? I can't tell you how many calls I've had with a husband and wife or with, with, with two business partners yeah. where the call started off as one person, but within the first three minutes, that call turned into two. Because if someone's wife or husband or partner is really involved in the decision-making, then I want them there to be present, to meet me so that I could also handle any of their objections and so that they have a full understanding of what they're getting. Hmm. And that is called the assumptive close. Hmm. You never want to get on a sales call where you invest 50 minutes of your time. Yeah. And at the end here, I got to talk to my partner. That's right. And the story that the partner gets, the other person or well, oh, involved in the decision is a different story, right? It's, it's a different story. And I've also come to realize, unfortunately, and this is just human behavior, is we can use that I need to talk to someone advice as a deflection. Yeah. Right. If we're not ready to make the decision, if we're feeling like, oh, my God, I wasn't ready to break out my credit card today. We use that like, hey, let me talk to let me get back to you because I don't make decisions unless I talk to, to my mm. partner um, as a deflection. So we can really isolate that objection, which is one of the key objections in the first two minutes of the phone call. Now, after that, assuming you've got a yes, I can make a decision today. Uh, and if not, you bring their partner on the call, assuming you've gotten that part figured out. The next question is very simple. So Jurgen, what motivated you to book this call with me? Hmm. And that's where you kind of open up the floodgates. That's where you open up the floodgates where the prospect is just, you know, spewing out, spewing, spewing, I don't know how to say that, spewing out information. Essentially, they, they begin to word vomit all the reasons for all the things that are not working right now. And that is where your job is to really stay as quiet as possible and just take notes. By the way, I take a lot of notes in my sales calls. So I do have a pen and a journal next to me at all times. I take a lot of notes. I also do my sales calls not on video, audio only. Mm -hmm. I really want to focus on the other person. And I find video to be distracting because you never actually lock eyes with somebody on video. So mm -hmm. figure out their pain points. The next step would be really to dig deeper into their why. Like why is it important for them to solve the problem now? And once you've done a great job articulating their pain points, a piece that a lot of people miss is that they don't recap. They don't, they don't summarize what they've heard back to the prospect, right? That's called a recap. You need to recap. So Jurgen, based on what you've told me, you've been at this revenue range for about the last six months. You've tried Facebook ads. They haven't really worked the way you want. And you've been in business for about two years. Does that sound about right? They're like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds exactly right. So all I'm doing is I'm just, I'm repeating back based on what I've written down as my notes back to my prospect. So they know I'm not just going to the next part of the script. So I am actually listening and I am actually paying attention. Now, once you figured out the pains, the next part you need to really figure out is the gains. 
what are the goals, right? You go from pain to gain. So next you, you try to understand really what's their 12 month goal, what's their six month goal, what's their three month goal. And then once you figure that out, again, you repeat it back to them. So Jurgen, you're saying that in the next year, you want to be at about 30 to 50 K a month, but really in the next six months, you think realistically you can get to 15, but it sounds like immediately you want to get to that first 10 K month. Is that right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's right. And I'm just, again, I'm just repeating what I have written down on paper. Hmm. Then I ask a very powerful question. And the question is, so Jurgen, I'm curious, what do you need from me? You've articulated the pain, you've articulated the gain. So I'm curious or out of curiosity, what do you need from me? And again, what that question does is not only does it stretch the problem a bit, but it clearly lets the other person answer that they need something. Yeah. Something in their life is not working. Hey, Curran, you know, I've been watching your content. I've been seeing your testimonials. Like, I want that. Like I want, I finally want to be at 20 K a month because I've been selling low ticket in a value ladder for three years and nothing has worked. Now, once they've answered, what do you need from me? There's only three steps remaining. Step number 10, so to speak in this framework is you tell them your solution. Hey, Jurgen. So I work with people like you that are currently at five or 10 K a month and we help them get to 10 to 20 K a month using organic lead generation. Does that sound like a fit so far? Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a great fit. I don't want to spend money on ads. Awesome. So here's how we're going to do it. In week one, we're going to enhance your offer. And then we're going to give you our full marketing plan. So really by week one, you should be generating sales calls. Our fastest client has actually had success in 48 hours. After that, you have access to me for the next 90 days, one-on-one, -on -one, and you get group support. So you get the best of both worlds. Do you have any questions about the program? And the mistake people make when they describe their solution is they get into the nitty gritty of every single module, key benefit, lesson title that they have, and they start to fill the prospect's mind with all this information that is only confusing them. Yeah. Right. If I was to say, Hey, uh, you're in module one of my program. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to have you write the 90 day letter. Now the 90 day letter, it's going to take about, you know, an hour to do, and it's a really powerful thing. You're not really going to understand it at the beginning, but you'll get it at the end. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to have you watch this video on the on the difference between rich mindset and poor mindset. And then after that, I'm going to show you how to book calls with me. And then after that, you're going to have weekly accountability forms. And that's just module one. And then in module two, we're going to do, you know, 10 other things. Like it's, yeah. it's so much information. And if you're doing a good enough job in your content, then that information, the prospect should already have, right? You should be writing your content in a way where your process, how you achieve point A to point B success, should already be visible to your prospects based on your content. So once you tell them the solution, you wait and you ask them, Jurgen, do you have any questions? And Jurgen would say, how much is it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. You always want to make sure that you let the other person ask how much. Hmm. The only job of you articulating your solution is to understand does your prospect have any questions about the program, about yeah. your service, about how you operate? Once they've hit the green light on those aspects, then you're going to ask questions like, well, do you have any, any other questions about the program? Like, no, I'm good. Well, do you have any questions about how to get into the program or the investment? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. How much is the program? Hmm. 
Another mistake people make here, which is crucial because you're about to ask for a lot of money, the mistake a lot of people make here is that they pitch two or three different offers. Hmm. Well, hey, hey, Jurgen, you know, based on where you're at, so I actually have three offers. You know, I've got one that's more in the 7K, I've got one that's in the 12K, and this is what you get. And I've got one more in like the 20K range, and this is what you get. And I mean, based on where you're at, you know, it's like, whoa, you're confusing the crap out of someone right now. Yeah. Right? So, so like, only have one offer, only have one offer. Right? So in that point, when they ask how much, you again, you tell them, hey, we work, Jurgen, with people like you that go from here to here in this 90 day window. The investment for this program is, and you say your price, hmm. full stop. You don't say, you don't say the investment is $12,000. Um, how does that sound? Or you don't say, Hey, it's $12,000, but you know, I really think you're going to make your money back in the first 30 days, or, you know, the, the investment is 12 grand. And like most of my clients get 20, 30, 40 grand in the, in the next 90 days. Like you don't, you don't say that you just, you say the price. And you do the most difficult thing that it is possibly to do on a sales call. You say the price and you shut up <laughs> and you stay quiet and they're going to say one of two things. And I've had, listen, after I've shut up, I've had calls that have gone 90 seconds afterwards, actually 96 seconds was the longest with a person <laughs> on the other end. It was just like, time it uh, no, I, I listened to it afterwards because yeah, I didn't yeah. record my sales calls. Yeah. But I had one sales call that was 96 seconds of when I said the price and I shut up, it was just silence. Hmm. And the person in the back end was like, you know, that's a really good deal. And, uh, and like, they were just, they were just processing it themselves hmm. and they were just talking to themselves. And I just didn't say a word. And one of two things is going to happen. They're going to say, yes, let's do it. And then you just take, you accept your money right then and there and you go on to the, and then you start working together. Or they're going to have, you know, a price objection, which is typically, I don't have the budget. <laughs> Maybe they might say, let me talk to my partner. Hmm. Um, they'll say something like, you know, I've been burned before. How is this different? They might say, oh, you know, like I really need to meditate on, on all my decisions because, because I like to meditate before I make a big jump or, um, um, kick, circle back with me in 30 days. Another good yeah. one. Right. So there's a, there's a, like one of the five most common objections. And then, I mean, I, I give my clients what I call, it's a cheesy name, but the objection destroyer playbook. <laughs> and essentially it's how do you combat all five of those objections in a very comfortable manner? Hmm. And that really is the, is the entire framework. And in many, many situations, my clients, if they don't close on their first sales call, they'll close their second sales call. Cause I also audit their calls on a weekly basis. If I listen to my client's sales calls, pinpoint where they could have improved, pinpoint where they went wrong. And I've, I've, I've come to realize that, you know, between their first call and their third call, the growth that they make just in like three calls is, is transformational. And the biggest thing you can do if you get a price objection is remain calm. When in reality, when most people get a price objection, there's all this emotion comes up. It's like mm. uh, fight or flight syndrome. Yeah, all this yeah. ad ad adrenaline comes into the equation and you lose the sale because you start talking way too much. And you, then you, and then what's worse is then you begin to start discounting your services. Well, oh, hey, listen, if, if 12K is too much, how about a thousand? Yeah. Right? At that point, yeah. it's just like super yeah. desperate. <laughs> and also you've undermined all your authority and 
and the value of the course. Completely. All right. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Um, that's given us a lot of a um, lot of ideas and thoughts, and um, I'm fascinated that you just do audio calls. So you do phone calls, or you work with people across borders and stuff. So I'm guessing maybe just um, Zoom without Zoom. Yeah. Zoom audio. Yeah. Yeah. Zoom audio. I, I record all my sales call hmm. calls so I can listen to them after the fact. Um, cause even there's, you know, there's calls that, that I don't close and I've got a, what I would say a pretty good close percentage. And for anyone wondering, like 60 to 80% is a pretty good close percentage. 20% is a kind of the average in high ticket sales. Like if you can close two out of 10 sales calls, people would say you're, 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 you're pretty solid. Like if you're closing two out of 10, that's a pretty good number. But if you're closing, you know, two out of three with just higher quality prospects, then your percentage can be much higher than than twenty percent. Hmm. So that that's a really um, comprehensive sales call strategy and framework, and um, you know, I think great methodology. But the important thing, though, is all of the work that's gone in before you get to that stage, right? The consistency of producing high quality information that i mean i i talk about transformational marketing so i'd say you know if, if that article or this thing that i publish isn't going to transform in some way the person that i'm speaking to then it's not really valuable enough and and so people will comment on articles and and um, particularly if you're really consistent about it and then follow up on those conversations they're the people you've already made a difference to it. So it should be pretty easy to have conversations with them. And if, if you're very careful and listen to what their needs are and make sure that what you have will actually address those needs or those desires, then, then this process should work really well. And that's, you know, <clears throat> comes back to the, the compounding effect we talked about earlier yeah. is you get better with every post. You get better with every sales call. You get better with every time someone says it's too much money. Hmm. You get better every time. You, you, you always get better. The only way you actually lose, I think, in life is if you just truly give up. The only way you lose in business is if you stop showing up to swing that bat. Like I'd, I'd, I'd take someone on my team that strikes out than somebody who just wants to sit on the bench any day of the week. <laughs> yep. So... You have to be prepared to take a little bit of risk, but I think the the mindset you bring to the game is, hey, I can learn from this and I'll give it a try. I'll start with something that I think might work and then I'll get feedback on my performance. I'll learn from the experience and implement some changes next time. Absolutely, man. This is all just, you know, business is just a small part of my life. I talk about it a lot. It's what I do in mo most of my waking hours, but business is still a small part of my life. Yeah. Well, that comes back to what you were talking about earlier. And um, maybe I'll um, go there because I had that question um, on my mind, but then we kind of went down another path. And that's this idea of helping people realize that uh, constant growth 
you know, once they get to 10,000 a month, perhaps, or once they get to 100,000 a month, that um, just because they're there doesn't mean that the next 10x is is the goal that they must go after. Um, so looking at you and your life, what, what does success mean to you? The ultimate definition of success, in my opinion, and I've read this in a book called The Psychology of Money, is something, and this is me paraphrasing, it's being able to do what you want, when you want, with who you want. Hmm. And if you can accomplish those three things, you are beyond rich. The fact that we have access right now to Wi-Fi puts us in the 1% in the world. Yeah. Right? So my first world problems of, wow, I can't believe my Uber is seven minutes delayed. Yeah. Like that's a, pretty, that's a pretty good problem in the grand scheme of life. So, so my definition of success is, am I truly happy when I close my eyes at night? Do I have something in the mornings that really gets me out of bed or am I just going through the motions? Am I giving more to people in value than what they pay me? Am I being kind and understanding of my relationships? Am I checking in with family and friends that I really care about? Am I reading? Am I taking care of my personal health? Am I going for walks? That to me is success. Whether I make or anyone makes, my, my, my last rubric of success on anyone is how much money they make. Hmm. There's a big difference in how much money someone makes and whether or not you want to have them over for dinner. And if you wouldn't have someone over for dinner, obviously I've hosted a lot of dinners, but if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't want to spend a weekend with someone, if you wouldn't want somebody in your house sitting at your kitchen table, engaging with your family and loved ones, and it doesn't really matter how much money they make, does it? Hmm. If they're not a good human being. Yeah. So I think as I've, as I've grown to some degree, as I've, you know, gotten older, to me, I think, you know, the ultimate measure of success is really how you treat yourself. That's great. I love it. And I think the, you know, the idea behind that, we talked a little bit about gratitude earlier to be grateful for what we do have and, and celebrate what we do have, even though there might be some other things that we aspire to and that we're not there yet. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> gratitude has so many scientific benefits right? Mm. Having a shitty day, but thinking about something you're grateful for will invoke the same emotion in you as doing a workout, Yeah, right? It's still going to release like endorphins in your body. Fake smiling will make you happier. <laughs> it's true. You could be having a really crappy day, but fake smiling will actually make you happier, right? And so and when, when you're grateful in the mornings or at night, I like to do in the mornings, it doesn't need to be again these big grand gestures of like i'm grateful that the way the sun hit my bed this morning showed me the compounding life like it does sometimes you're just grateful that you have a warm bed hmm. sometimes you're grateful that you're slowing down so you can speed up sometimes you're grateful that you just invested in, in a coach which is really investing in yourself sometimes you're grateful that yesterday didn't rain 
right? And like gratefulness has no no measure. Like there's no yeah, like oh well, right. Jurgen Jurgen's Jurgen's gratitude list is bigger than mine yeah. because he's got bigger items on his list. Like that's it's not a competition. Hmm. And we can celebrate so little things, right? If uh, we just got to notice them. Um, like I woke up this morning and the first thing, it had been raining all night. It was still raining this morning. So I was kind of grateful because I, I know, you know, it was too wet to go out for my morning bike ride. And I thought, oh, well, I miss out my morning bike ride. But I was grateful because I thought, well, you know, the garden actually does need a decent watering. So it's got that. And then I saw on our front balcony um, through my window, there was a magpie. So a magpie is a big bird um, here native to Australia, black and white bird. And it was just sitting there on the balcony rail and it was they have the most magical warbling, singing, chattering. So it was just warbling and chattering away to itself there. Then it saw me and I kind of stood there still and spoke to it and it kind of engaged in a conversation. It was kind of magical. And I thought, you know, you, how cool is that? You just sort of stand there and notice those little things and there you have this little engagement with um, some wildlife. <laughs> Right. That to me is success. Hmm. Being able to acknowledge that. Being able to disconnect from your cell phone for a second to witness that moment in history that will never repeat itself. Hmm. I, where, where, I, I heard someone say this this morning. He said, the, the, the chances of being born are 400 trillion to one. <laughs> like you've already beat countless lotteries by being in existence and by being a human being, right? The fact that me and you are having this conversation, we both defied the odds of being born. And I think when you really understand the gift that we've been given in life, man, like you and I both know tomorrow is not promised hmm. in any regard. So if we've already made it and we've come this far, then shouldn't we want to spend the time that we have doing something that really excites us with amazing clients and just amazing people. And, you know, everyone is deserving of making a lot of money. I'm not against making money. I think everyone is very deserving of making money. The only thing holding most people back is themselves. Hmm. Yes. Great message. So, and on that note, I think it's a good point to move on to the buzz. Now you've done this before, but I'm going to take notes and uh, compare them to the last time and see, see what's happened. All right, so the buzz is the same five questions I ask of every guest and hopefully you'll inspire the listener to go and do something awesome today as a result. Cool. What's the By number the way, I have, no, I have no idea what I said last time. <laughs> I didn't look it up today either, so I can't remember. What's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Stop following others and create out of a place of yourself. Mm, yeah, I love it. So creating out of a place for yourself. So you talked earlier about taking a stand um, and having the courage to take a stand so that people actually see, okay, that's what you stand for. Um, that's part of that, isn't it? Yeah, I think if you want to blend in with the crowd, the easiest way to do that is just do what everyone else is doing reach and practice the exact same messages to create the same business model that everybody else has. Instead, you know, why not do things that feel aligned to you? Why not 
create out of a place of asking yourself first, instead of always asking the external other people, mentors, Hey, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Why not sit down with yourself in a quiet place in a notebook and just write down, what do you want? Hmm. And that's probably the most difficult question for anyone to answer is what do you want? Hmm. Cause they don't know. They think they know based on what society tells us. They think they want the new Audi. They think they want the, the vacations in Costa Rica and live nomadically. And then I'm like, well, have you ever tried to live in Costa Rica with a suitcase? Well, no, cause I'm not there yet. Cause I don't have the money. Yeah. Like, well, you know, you're, you're, we've humans have a really bad tendency to live in the past and live in the future. We're always critiquing ourselves for the mistakes that we've made. And we're always dreaming up these like magical futures that seem to, every time you get closer, seem further and further apart. Mm. And the only person creating those stories is, is us. So you can look at your mistakes and learn from them, or you can look at your mistakes and tell yourself every day, well, I'm a failure. I'm a failure because I did this thing 10 years ago and I'm still not over it. And the opposite is you could dream up, oh, I can't wait for, for life to look like this one day. You know, one day when I have the car, when I have the house, when I've got the partner, when I've got the mansion, when I've got all those things, I'm not against any of those things. I'm just saying there's this arrival syndrome mentality. And the moment you can be at peace with what you have today and know that enough is enough, I think the happier you'll be. And I, I, I'm not one to sacrifice, like you, you should never have to sacrifice your personal life for business. You should never create a business that you ultimately begin to hate. Hmm. You should never create a business just because the model works for someone else. Speaking as someone who's made those mistakes, right? I've created models. I've created the type of business I thought I wanted because others had a very similar business. What I didn't realize is that whether or not that person made money, they would have been happy because hmm. they were doing what they truly ultimately love. The fact that they were making money to them was a bonus, right? So when you're looking at other people, just keep in mind, and we might be going off tangent, <laughs> but you're only seeing a side of them that is, you know, the typical above the iceberg. Yep. You have no idea the 80% underneath the iceberg that you never get to see. Those are the conversations behind closed doors. That's the conversation they're probably having with their partner or their therapist or someone else, mm. right? Like. You're never going to get to see that side of someone unless they're like your partner or, or a good friend. So don't just, don't just, and, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like don't create out of place of like, of the external, like do not create because that's what you feel like society has boxed you into creating. You can have whatever business model you want. You can charge whatever prices you want. There's nothing preventing you from a $200,000 sale tomorrow when you've only made 50 grand every year for the last five years. Hmm. Like, tell me why that's not possible. <laughs> yeah. It's you just have to find someone who you can provide value that values it more than the money. Yeah. You know, like some of the, the cheapest yachts are like a couple hundred million. Hmm. That to me is unfathomable. Like it's, it's kind of crazy. I'm like, wow, the cheapest yacht is 35 million. What about those super yachts that are like 220 million? We have to realize that there's billions of dollars moving in the world yeah. every single day. And here we are trying to, you know, get our couple hundred dollars a day. Hmm. 
You know, there's billions moving every single day. And most people are like, well, if I just have a, you know, a hundred or two, if, if I make 500 bucks a day, like, you know, I don't want to be greedy. I'm good. Hmm. Like there's all this movie, uh, there's, there's all this money around you at all times. And the only thing, again, that's stopping you is you not seeing the opportunity or you being afraid of the outcome because you're afraid to quote fail, which does not exist in the world of business. Yep. Yeah, no such thing as failure. And my business coach loves to say that. It's all feedback. All right, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? The process called thinking time. <laughs> and there's a book called The Road Less Stupid. Mm, yeah, I love that book. The Road Less Stupid. I believe the author's name is Keith Cunningham. And if I was to get rid of every book on my bookshelf and you said I could only keep one, it would be that book. Mm. And what's difficult about the book is that it prompts you with questions and it forces you to sit in silence with you and your own thoughts. And that is the scariest thing most entrepreneurs ever have to do <laughs> is sit in silence and journal, sit in silence and ask themselves, what do they truly desire? Mm. So the most powerful, I think, personal development exercise, or I, I forget your, your, your question, but it's this process of thinking time. Mm is not doing more again it comes back to the theme of what can you do less like can you set aside 45 minutes on a monday morning before you start your emails and everything else with you a series of questions that might change the rest of your life and most people will say no i don't have that kind of time hmm. and i think you know there's this famous meditation saying like if you don't have an if you don't have 10 minutes to meditate you need to meditate for four hours or something like that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's the exact same thing. I think yeah. the default is to do more. Hmm. And that's yeah. not always the answer. I love it. Yeah. And um, yeah, we'll have a link to the Roadless Stupid as well as what you mentioned earlier, the one thing by Gary Keller, of course, in the show notes. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite resource you use most often? You've talked about journaling quite a bit. Yeah. I've got a favorite resource. It's this idea called the 90 day letter. Mm -hmm. So every every 90 days, I write a letter to my future self. I write it on paper and I bucket various categories that are of interest to me in that time. I, I write my letter in terms of what do I want my life to look like 90 days out in the categories of health, personal finance, my relationships, and maybe hobbies or passions. And I, and I write down 90 days from today in present tense. So I would write something like, dear Curran, can you believe that you landed that commercial? Hmm. So I, I write to my future self every 90 days at all my events, nobody leaves my two day or three day events without doing a 90 day letter. I have a stack of envelopes in my cabinet right here that I'm going to mail out to people on day 85 of their 90 day journey. And what's powerful about 90 days is that I'm not a big long-term goal setter for me. I can't even see a year out because so much can happen, hmm. but 90 days is that sweet spot. It's three months, 12 weeks of what's possible. And when you write down what you want, and again, neuroscience has shown us that, what, that when we write our goals on paper, they're more likely to come true. So I've done this exercise five or six times in my life. And every time I write it, I have powerful transformations. I never let the, how will this happen? Get in the way of me taking action. Um, and it's just, it's an incredible resource. Again, it's you and yourself. Mm. It's you and a piece of paper. And then you seal it in an envelope and on in the front of the envelope, you write down today's date 
and then you go to Google and say 90 days from today, and then you write the future date, and then you keep that envelope somewhere visible, maybe on your computer chair or on your, your work area, and you get to see that letter every day as a, as a daily reminder that, hey, tick-tock, tick-tock, time is going to go. Whether you take action or not, that 90 days is going to happen. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. And how often do you do that? So do you just... every, every, every 90 days. So okay, basically, so you do, you do a will, cycle, you initiate the cycle, yeah. Yep, every 90 days the cycle restarts. So on day 90, I typically, I typically wait for the weekend. So let's say the, the day happens to be on a Wednesday. Hmm. I'll typically wait till like the Saturday or Sunday. I'll make my, you know, I'll make my coffee. There's something about just like a nice, clean Saturday morning hmm. where you get to make your favorite coffee, sit down on a chair, open up your letter and read it out loud to yourself. And then I, I let that sit and process for about 24 hours. And then I write my, my next letter essentially immediately after. Hmm. So next you, days. Yeah, you've actually built into that what we were talking about earlier. It's some time where you actually celebrate what's happened. Absolutely. You've gotten, hmm. And this is something all my clients do as well. I, every, every client of mine in my coaching program, every client who comes to a, a, a retreat of mine, on the last day of the retreat, we do a 90 day letter. And on the first day of the 90 day coaching program, we do a 90 day letter as well. Great. Love it. All right. And what's the best way to keep a client on track? Best way to keep a client on track is something that most people will tell you is dumb and it's not scalable. And it's to offer insane accessibility to you. Hmm. So I'm talking, if a client needs daily accountability, you make that, you make that an option. All my clients, as an example, and this is not about my program, but something that clients have enjoyed is that they get daily video access to me. I'll respond to a video message Saturday night as I'm eating dinner. Hmm. I'll respond to a video message the first thing in the morning, last thing at night. I have given my clients so much daily access to me that sometimes the average response time is like 45 seconds. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very quick. So I think that keeps them accountable. It keeps them on track. It makes them feel like for the first time in their life, a coach didn't just take their money and give them a series of worksheets. And it provides this really unique one-to-one -one relationship, even in a group program, where they feel like someone for the first time has got their back. And most people will tell you that you shouldn't scale a one-on-one -on -one program because you can't duplicate your time and things like that. I agree to, to some extent, but I've come to realize that most of my clients, the reason they've been burned in the past is because they get very limited access to the person and they get access to their team hmm. or they get you know tech support or email support and nothing beats a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, I love that. And it's so consistent with everything you've been talking about so far and with our whole philosophy around making everything much more human having that human touch. And it shows that you really care about your clients and their success. Yeah, I mentioned to you earlier before we started recording, I think every entrepreneur goes through you know, cycles in their business and cycles of their life. Call it growth, call it pivoting, call it what you will. But I think the moment you become incredibly invested in your client's success is the moment you figure out where you get a step closer to what it is that you're here for. Hmm. And this program, that I've currently developed has been the most invested I've ever been. So it doesn't surprise me that it's also the most money I've ever made. 
right? I'm so invested in my client's success and my prospects see that. My clients see that. So when you're so invested as if the outcome was your own, I think Dean Jackson said like, what if you only got paid if you achieve results? Hmm. So that's what I like to think about. It's like, hey, what if, like, how can my client never feel alone in the next 90 days? And I take that level of intention into every one-on-one meeting, every group meeting, every text message, is I never want my clients to feel alone. Yeah, love it. All right, what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? I feel do weird. things that are not do things that are not scalable. Yeah. You know, in this world of automation, in this world of volume, numbers, and quantity, surprisingly, it doesn't take a lot of effort for you to actually differentiate yourself. Somebody messaged me today and I, I asked them, I said, oh, hey, how's life in, in uh, I forget what city they're in. I actually couldn't pronounce the name of the city. Um, I said, hey, how's life in you know, Australia, for lack of a, of a better word? Hmm. And Jurgen, to their surprise, they were like, how did you know where I lived? <laughs> like, because it's, it's, it's on your profile. Yeah. And they were so shocked that somebody actually took a moment to go to their profile and figured out where they lived. I think the bar is set so low these days mm. that in order to stand out, sometimes you just have to go on a person's profile and make, again, you know, the rule of six, the rule of three, make your first couple of messages all about the other person. So I think how, how you can differentiate yourself is do things that most people will tell you are, are not scalable. Yeah, yeah. And that's such a great example. It's like I talk to people all the time around our podcasting programs and so you know things like prepare when you when you get on a podcast as a guest prepare listen to an episode find out what what they call their audience find out mm-hmm. where they are um you know simple things cost you about a minute each time like listening to an episode might cost you longer this one's been going for an hour and 14 <laughs> but it's amazing to me that 80% of people don't do that, don't do those things, and they cost nothing and makes you stand I would out. say that, that that number is probably higher than 80 at this point. Hmm. All right. Well, thanks, Karen. This has been great. Now, where can people find out more about you, find out about your programs, and maybe even reach out and say thanks for all that you've shared with us today? Absolutely. I am incredibly accessible on, on Facebook. Like Facebook is where I hang out, uh, primarily in my Facebook group, which is called Entrepreneurs Landing High Ticket Clients. And um, if somebody is, is listening to this and they're, um, I find the, the biggest thing when it comes to getting new clients is people want more leads. And I actually teach, hey, you don't need more leads. You just need a way to tap into your existing network. I've got a free guide at guides dot closedreamclients.com it's just a it's a free free daily prospecting plan checklist and uh other than that yeah facebook group entrepreneurs landing high ticket clients and the profitable prospecting plan is something anyone can download at guides.closedreamclients.com excellent and we'll include all those links in the show notes so do you have some parting advice for our listener today you've given us so much but maybe you could uh, encapsulate some of that Yes, my parting advice is start thinking about how you're spending your time. Start thinking and asking and questioning yourself why you're doing certain actions in your business. 
Are you doing them because that's what was taught to you? Are you doing them because that's what truly aligns to you? Or are you just doing them because you're letting somebody other than you essentially dictate how you live your life and how you grow your business? And the moment you begin to separate yourself and realize that you are in control and you have always been in control, that's when you truly begin to create a life of abundance, joy, happiness, where whether you make five or 50K a month, you're gonna just feel at peace for the first time in your life. So I think ultimately, listen to yourself more. Hmm. Great advice. Listen to yourself more and tr be more trusting as well. I think that's an important part of that. All right, finally, who else should I get on the show, Karan, and why? Someone you should get on the show. And I know I said Brandy last time, I believe, and I don't think she's, to her detriment, she has not been on. But someone you should get on this, on the show is my new friend, uh, Pat. Uh, I don't know how to say his last name because he's French, but I will, I will, I'll make the introduction. His name is Pat. And similarly, um, he's, he's kind of in the coaching space, but he, he really helps entrepreneurs and companies streamline their sales process without having, without having to discount, have, you know, really bad tactics and strategies that involve manipulation on the sales call. I think he's got he's got something nailed nailed down when it comes to the sales, uh, the sales aspect of one's business. So I think if your audience is interested in sales and how to close sales ethically without having to feel icky and gross and mm. feel like you're manipulating the other person, he would be an incredible guest. Okay, sounds fascinating. I'm I'm really interested, and I'm sure our audience will be too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'll get an introduction to Pat from you, and we'll reach out to him, start a conversation first and then see where we go from there amazing so thanks so much for sharing your time your insights your process in such detail with us karan and taking us on the journey you've been on in some ways from when we spoke last i've really enjoyed this learned a lot um, always love talking with you and of course there's been a lot of um, philosophical life lessons as well as business stuff um, which i always enjoy talking about as well so Thanks for all of that. Let's keep keep the conversation going. Appreciate you, man, and congrats. You're almost at 500, a real master of the craft. So, man, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for all the work behind the scenes that, that no one sees. You know, everyone listening to this is listening to a, an episode that has not just taken you know us an hour and 20 minutes, but there's a lot of work behind the scenes that goes into it as well. So just want to acknowledge you for for not giving up because I think most podcast episodes end after episode 10 and you're, you know, you're almost at 500. So yeah. kudos to you. Thanks a lot. Well, I always enjoy my conversations with Karan. Always such excitement and energy and inspiration comes out of them. And I hope you enjoyed that engaging conversation with Karan and took something away from his episode. I loved the idea of Karan's 90-day letter as a way to plan and reflect and also the idea of insane accessibility as a differentiator. I'd love to know what you took away from Karan's episode. Do leave a comment below the blog post which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Karan Nijuan. That is K-A-R-A-N-N-I-J-H-A-W-A-N. 
all lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Nijawan. There you'll also find contact information for getting in touch with Karan, as well as links to his website, his social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. Karan suggested that we have a conversation with Pat Laverne of the Sales Champ Academy and with Kate Donovan, author of The Bounce Back Ability Factor, on a future Innova Buzz podcast episode. So, Kate and Pat, keep an eye on your inboxes for an invitation from us to the Innova Buzz podcast, courtesy of Karan Nijuan. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode because that way we can really get to know more about you and why you listen. And also, it's going to help us make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz to pick your preferred review platform. And of course, you can follow the show by going to followthepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including author of Seriously Playful Creativity, Dr. Catherine Lloyd, and LinkedIn expert, Alan Melko Moore. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.